Solomon, uh, I know you've got an article over there that you're uh, dying to read to our audience. And I think they're, they're going to have some strong opinions one way or the other on it. And uh, I'm going to be quiet and let you do some magic. Yeah, I came across this article in a uh, automotive industry professionals Facebook group that we have. Otherwise, I probably wouldn't have seen it. It uh, comes from uh, Bloomberg.com from a uh, writer by the name of Angie Schmidt. And it's called uh, What Happened to Pickup Trucks? As U.S. drivers buy more full-size and heavy-duty pickups, these vehicles have transformed from no-frills workhorses into angry giants. And pedestrians are paying the price. And she goes on to say, uh, to get a handle on what's happened to pickup trucks, it really helps to use a human body for scale. In some nerdy internet circles, specifically bike and pedestrian advocacy groups, it's become trendy to take a selfie in front of the bumper of a random neighborhood Silverado. Among the increasingly popular heavy-duty models, the height of the truck's front end may reach a grown man's shoulder or neck. When you involve children in this exercise, it starts to become really disturbing. My four-year-old son, for example, barely cleared the bumper on a lifted F-250 that we came across in a parking lot last summer. Vehicles of this scale saddle their drivers with huge front and rear blind zones that make them perilous to operate in crowded areas. Even car guys have been sounding the alarm about the mega truck trend recently. A few months ago, the Wall Street Journal's Dan Neal complained about this close encounter in a parking lot with a 2020 GMC Sierra HD Denali. Quote, unquote, the domed hood was at forehead level. The paramedics <laughs> would have had to extract me from the grill with a spray hose. Since 1990, U.S. pickup trucks have added almost 1,300 pounds on average. Some of the biggest vehicles on the market now weigh almost 7,000 pounds, or about three Honda Civics. These vehicles have a voracious appetite for space, one that's increasingly irreconcilable with the way cities and garages and parking lots are built. Styling trends are almost as alarming. Pickup truck front ends have warped into scowling brick walls. Billboards for outwardly directed hostility. The goal of the modern truck grill, wrote Jalopnik's Jason Torjinsky in 2018, seems to be about creating massive, brutal face of rage and intimidation. Uh, we can go on. You kind of get the, the tone of it. So she definitely has strong opinions of us truck owners. She has a point of view, I think you could say. Uh, she talked about the uh, during the pandemic, U.S. buyers seemed to respond to uh, trucks. In May 2020, Americans bought more pickup trucks than cars for the first time. Five of the 10 top-selling vehicles in the U.S. last year were pickup trucks. Giant, furious trucks are more than just a polarizing consumer choice. Large pickups and SUVs are notably more lethal to other road users, and their conquest of U.S. roads has been accompanied by a spike in fatalities among pedestrians and bicyclists. As I wrote in my 2020 book, Right of Way, Race, Class, and the Silent Epidemic of Pedestrian Deaths in America, the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety and the Detroit Free Press have pointed to the rise in SUVs and large pickups as the main culprit in the pedestrian mortality search. So, her point of view is from that. She talks about uh, the truck, what she calls the truckification of the family car. Well, I mean, that's true. I mean, there is a truckification. Yeah. You've been talking about it. You know, it used to be the station wagon. Yep. And then uh, it was a sedan. And now it's become the truck because of the uh, the accoutrement inside. The, I mean, it's so comfortable and roomy. And you can haul everything, including your family. And uh, yep. she, she goes on to talk about hmm. crew cabs, extended cabs, how nobody even has a single cab. Uh, in the most of the best uh, selling pickup brands, I think the you know obviously there's a few out there, but midsize trucks don't even offer one. Talks about pickup trucks transforming to family vehicles and being more luxurious. Today's truck owners include all kinds of people who don't necessarily need or rarely use them for what they're designed for. But listen, you're in America. Uh, if you feel like it makes your family safer, do it. If you want to haul air around the back and you can afford it, do it. If uh, it makes you feel good to sit up high, do it. Like you shouldn't be slammed into or required to have a certain vehicle size because somebody doesn't like you driving a truck. 
No, like when did because she doesn't like the front end because it looks mean. No, because it is, in her opinion, affects her, you know, pedestrians and and bicyclists. And I'm sure you don't want to get hit by a truck, but I also don't want to get hit by a Corvette either. No, I don't want to hit by a get hit by a Honda Accord. I'm, I'm still my head's going to hit the windshield. And I'm going to bust my head open just the same way I'm going to do on the front end of a, a, a Silverado. I don't I don't even understand that analogy. That comparison. And then she also talks about how the U.S. perverse regulatory and tax environment contributes to this arms race. And the Ford heavy-duty F-250, for example, benefits from its regulatory status as a commercial vehicle, unlike the smaller F-150. And it goes on how nobody tracks the gas mileage, so there's no EPA rating for truck, which is how it's always been. Talks about business tax structure. Uh, and then she goes into the Tesla Cybertruck and the Hummer EV and the battery-powered vehicles that, quote-unquote, overcompensate for their non-polluting powertrains with hyper-aggressive styling and power ratings. Who cares? Like, Who cares? If, if, <laughs> like, if you don't like it, you don't have to buy it. Like, it's, is it taking up two parking spaces she from you? She really freaking hates trucks. Well, her next section is called Make Way for Petromasculinity. So now we're going into that crap. I'm like, seriously? You, well, you got to read some of this. I'm dying to hear some of this. Really? It says, uh, that doesn't mean the decision to buy a $50,000 truck with a 4,200-pound payload rating for the occasional trip to the golf course or hardware store is strictly rational. Personal vehicles are not merely functional appliances. They're used as refuges, fortresses, and private enclaves and serve as important signifiers of class and gender identity, as Sovacool explored in a 2018 study. That's just ludicrous. Uh, uh, it's crazy. You're t- you're, you're, I am the host of the Truck Show podcast. I, I'm driving right now a full-size three-quarter ton truck, and I own, not only do I own a freaking Mini Cooper, it says size small on the license plate. It literally is S-I-Z-E-S-M-L. So double middle finger to this writer. Come on now. Yeah. Uh, really? The, the term was uh, was coined by Kara Daggett, a professor of political science at Virginia Tech, who uh, coined the term, again, petromasculinity, to describe flamboyant expressions of fossil fuel use by men, and some women as well, but mostly men, as a reaction against social progress. What? No, so, I just like interesting social right. progress. I just so want the, to drive the, a truck. The greenification, the the ecologically minded, right. the the here. urbanized. Oh, folk. she's going to prove your point right here because okay. she's talking about you now. She basically says the affront of global warming or environmental regulation appear as insurgents. Uh, I mean, really? Uh, oh, hold on a second. Uh, hold on a second. Here's what I'm. Uh, I'm reading through some of this. Yep. This is political. No, of course it is. This is political. But it's wrapped in a truck. That's, that's you're, you're, exactly right. You're painting all truck drivers with the same broad brush and lumping them all in. So all the things that we're being told about how you know uh, we should all come together in unity, they're basically bucketing all of us who love trucks into this category as these horrible people who hate children, hate bicyclists, hate pedestrians, and hate Earth. Uh, but the reality is a lot of us, how about all the people drive trucks to do clean jobs? How about all the tr- people who have trucks because they're part of an organization that requires a truck? How about all the people that drive trucks and have their mountain bikes in the back because they don't want dirty mountain bikes in their inside of their SUV or something like that? Whatever the reason. It's not just about size. It's not just about payload. Sometimes it's about utility. And one other thing is, you know, uh, some of the journalists, it was interesting because a lot of professionals were in there and the comments were all over the map. It was actually a little bit shocking for me. Really? So, so you're saying uh, that it wasn't just... Pro truck, it was no, it was anti-truck. anti absolutely. No uh, sports joke. car riders that hate trucks, and we're going like, oh yeah, it's all about design in your face and make you know the headlights as small as possible and the grills as big as possible. No, 
I've literally talked to the engineers at all these companies, every single one of them. I don't care if it's Ford or if it's Ram or if it's GM. The grill size is directly proportional to the amount of thermal management they need to make the power numbers in today's truck, period. There's a radiator yeah. behind the that The radiators thing. are 30 plus inches long. And they have basically the designers are given, here's the airflow needs we have. Here's what's going behind it. You have to design a truck around that. The designers aren't going, let's make big, giant brick walls that kill people. No, they're saying, okay, if these are the goals we're setting, then we need to have an aerodynamic. What about all the, the retired folks who are out there towing their fifth wheel around the country as their second home? What, you, you, they, they hate bicyclists too? <laughs> I yeah, mean, apparently they do. How about all the people that, like me, who drive a truck and ride a bicycle? I love mountain biking, but I don't, I, I just, this is such a, a, a hit piece. It, it's not objective at all. It's somebody's opinion, and I just felt like the way it was was worded is so angering because it's it's not what this industry needs. I think it's uh, I think it's it's essentially hateful against a group of people, and that group of people is truck owners, all being lumped together. And there's a diverse population of truck owners who love trucks and use trucks in a million different ways. Who am I to judge? That's no different than you know, I'll, I'll be honest. Here, perfect example: the handicap placard, right? Early on, I had a friend who had a handicap placard, and she looked fine to me, and she parked at the handicap spot at work one day, and I jokingly said, oh, you got a handicap placard, kind of being a jerk because it's like, what are you parking there for? Mm -hmm. Come to find out, she had lupus. I had no idea. Ouch. But here I am, you know, like lambasting her with no information. Same thing that's happening here. Like, they're lumping these people in. It's like that judgment before you even know how people are using it, just because it's something you don't like. This should have been listed as an opinion piece, not as an article, in my opinion. But it doesn't say anywhere on the story that it's uh, that it's an opinion. Well, piece. and she's also citing other writers. Yeah, that uh, on are on her and side. And uses her own kid as a prop. I just the, I just have a problem with it. I I I was really shocked to read it, and I I'm just you know it's like I'm pretty unoffendable, and I was offended by this one, you know. It's just like, really, you just, and you got a lot of hate for, for my people. I wonder if we should repost that story to let our listeners comment on it. Mm, no? Well, let me just put it this way. If you want to check out what happened to pickup trucks, Bloomberg, Google that, and, uh, or DuckDuckGo that if, uh, if that's your speed, <laughs> uh, and you'll find the article quite easily. Read the whole thing. It's very inflammatory toward what we lo- love to do, and it's from a very specific urban point of view not realizing all of you out there who live in the country in middle America and the oil fields and you're towing your you know your horses to the barrel races or you know to the rodeo or you're towing bales of hay or i beams across dude, the country or she, trucks with hot shotters dude when she when she has her bathroom remodeled do you think the guy's going to come over the tile guy and yeah. come over in a Honda Civic no, with a coming, tile saw in his ba- in he's his coming trunk? over in a truck yes you know it's i just there's a lot of hypocrisy in this stuff. I, I get what she's saying. She's passionate about her point of view. I'm passionate about mine. Or is it just that she doesn't like lifted trucks and it's way too well, bro I, for I, her? I feel like she had a, a voice of for her opinion. It wasn't listed as an opinion piece, and it's come across as if it were a legitimate argument, but it doesn't properly share both sides of the story. It's from a very specific point of view about how all of us are lumped into a category of being horrible humans who uh, have chariots of death. That we uh, pilot. Why don't you guys go uh, go out and read it? Then send us a note and, and tell us your feelings about it. After having read 
the article in its entirety because uh, Holman kind of skimmed through the, the, the more salacious parts. Uh, truckshowpodcast at gmail.com. That's truckshowpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, you could also uh, leave us a voicemail, 657-205-6105, and tell us your thoughts on the uh, five-star hotline. Five-star. 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 Hotline. That's weird. I feel, uh, I feel a little dirty playing that before we've actually started the show. I played a jingle before the main jingle. Well, uh, yeah, that's that's a little bit weird. Why? Uh, I had to do it because you said five-star hotline. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we want to hear what you five guys star, think. Five-star. <laughs> five-star. Hotline. Uh-huh. All right. Well, uh I knew it. I was trying to stomp you. I mean, you do a good job of it normally. Uh, I know I do. All right. On this episode, we've got uh, David Borla. Yes, from uh, the legendary Borla exhaust family. He's coming on to uh, talk to us about the history of the company and Borla exhaust systems. So I'm pretty excited about that. Borla is known as like one of the top tier brands in exhaust, especially in the truck market, wouldn't you say? Yeah, absolutely. I've been a big fan of Borla. They've got a sweet, sweet sound. I'm kind of interested to find out from David, like, what is it about Borla that kind of gives them that signature sound? Because is it just a muffler and a pipe, right? Well, that's interesting you say that because, like, um, you got we've been talking about Nissan forever. So the last time we took a Titan out, and it is right here where we get on the freeway outside of the Motor Trend Studios. It's got one of those retaining walls. You get on, and the last time you romped on it, I don't know if it was full throttle, but it was it was damn near close. And it just has such the Nissan Titan. Uh, even if I weren't talking about Nissan for a sponsorship, like this is legit. It has such a cool sound. Yeah, if you don't believe me, just Google it. Yeah, no, the, the Titan is definitely one of the best factory exhausts out there. But how do you make it better without losing like the serenity inside the cat? Or maybe you don't want that. Maybe you want to hear it when you're driving all the time. I don't know. I, I don't, don't know. like. I don't need the serenity. I just want. The, <laughs> I just want the note. So uh, I wonder if uh, if you put a Bortle exhaust on a Titan, if it would take away the serenity and always give you a note. I think we're gonna have to ask him. All right, uh, so let's get to the show by thanking our sponsors. So, of course, uh, Nissan, who is the purveyor of the industry's best truck warranty. Five-year, 100,000 miles on the Nissan Titan and Nissan Titan XD. And, of course, uh, you can check out the Nissan NV line of commercial vans and the Nissan Frontier. By the way, the new Frontier is coming soon. I know. Uh, right before we started the show, you guys don't know this, is that I was pleading with Holman to reach out to his contact. He's a little closer with the Nissan than I am. To you know, tr- they listen to the show. Why don't you just try to, plead well, right now? Here's the deal. I am 100% serious. This is not like a radio shtick. I legit will put a down payment on a Nissan Frontier right now if you guys can hook a brother up with a smoking deal. I because I here's here's why I just I need some help because I just remodeled my house and so I'm a little on the on the on the broke side. Just sell a bunch of your crap. But I, dude, I'm this is I'm you guys are listening from Nissan. Make it happen. I'm all about it. No, make it happen, please. Make Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, please. What Help is, me. What is wrong with you? <laughs> now you're using our sponsor reads to get free product for yourself. I didn't ask for free. To get bro deal product bro for deal yourself. Bro deal is what I'm looking for. Well, I uh, we won't hear it in this episode. Uh, I think next show, so 169, uh, had a chance to go down to the Nissan Design Studio in La Jolla, California, which is around San Diego. When was this? Just uh, just last week. And uh, I had an- Stop. Did an interview Stop. with Stop. the designers Stop. of the Nissan Frontier. Stop. Why? 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 I, this is, it's 45 minutes from my house. Why uh, did sorry, you not COVID. ask me? Because it was a limited uh, limited group of people due to COVID, and we had very uh, specialized uh, slots to go in there. And instead of you, I brought the recorder. And so you will share in the magic of hearing about uh, Nissan's design of the new Frontier, which I think 
looks great, and nobody really expected it to look how it came out. So uh, th- some of those uh, uh, tidbits are revealed about the design of the Frontier. So next show, 169. All right, uh, Lightning, now that he's quiet and dejected, uh, I will cover uh, Reading Decked because... Uh, I'm not cool with this. With you going down, twice you went to freaking Nissan. Yeah. You went to the factory. That's my job. I told you I w- I've always wanted to visit the factory since they yeah. freaking opened the place. Uh-huh. And then you go down to the design studio. Okay. Not a single invite to either. Right, because this is part of my job. All right, well, while you sulk over there, let's uh, talk about our friends over at Deck. So uh, if you're listening to the Truck Show podcast and uh, you've got a problem, and that problem <laughs> is a lot of junk, uh, maybe you have a giant man purse, and uh, all of your things are tools and boxes, or just you turn a corner and they smash into each other and they roll around, or is maybe- the, Is the truck that a man purse? Maybe you have, I was thinking inside the cab too, you got to clear that out for passengers. Maybe all your fast food bags are piling up or something. Or maybe you have so much stuff that there's a load shift around corners and you really got to get that <laughs> stuff controlled. In that case, uh, go to deck.com where you can look at a slew of cargo solutions for your truck or van. We, of course, really like the deck drawer system with those two super smooth lockable drawers, weather-resistant, and, of course, you can put 2,000 pounds on top of it. You can check out uh, all their various lines of toolboxes, their cross box for the bed, and their D-bag for your back. It's all at decked.com, and while you're trying to solve your load shift issue, you, <laughs> you might want to reach out to our friends at Duralast Parts. Where you can freshen up those uh, worn-out twin-tube shocks or upgrade to monotubes from the Duralast line of parts. Duralast has over 900 Plus, application-specific parts available. That's a lot, dude. Covering 98% of vehicles on the road. The Duralast shocks are designed to improve handling, stability, braking performance, and even restore your vehicle to the original ride quality. Monotube upgrades available for many of the twin tube applications. Head over to DuralastParts.com or your local AutoZone. Well said. The Truck Show. We're going to show you what we know. What the truck, cause truck rides with the truck show. We have the lifted, we have the lowered, and everything in between. We'll talk about trucks that run on diesel and the ones that run on gasoline. The truck show, the truck show, the truck show. It's the truck show with your hosts, Lightning and Holman. You're trying to out me, me. <laughs> but when I do it, it's funny. Oh, I oh I'm not funny. I just said when I do it's funny. You take it for uh, for what it's worth. How many cool feet call our first guest, David Borla? Oh, from Borla Exhaust. That's the David Borla I'm referring to. That's the guy I want to talk to. Uh, hit the green call button on that phone right there. Hello. Hello, is this one Mr. David Borla? It's Lightning and Holman, Truck Show Podcast. How's it going? It, cer- it certainly is. Good. How are you guys doing? <laughs> We're doing all right. We're awesome. Hey, we can't right let you on. talk yet because we have a quick jingle to play. Don't move. Welcome to the parts department. Screw, nut, filter, oil, grill, tools, wheels, tires, brakes, lights, ears, belts, and your wife warns you not to. Don't you spend our money. And then you want to come back. But Holman, this is the time when our wives are 
stoked on our guest and the parts that he makes. I don't know about your wife, but mine lets me uh, run wild with my uh, parts purchases, so I'm good there. Oh, I'm really? Good there. Yeah. It's kind of funny, but my wife is not psyched about this at all. <laughs> <laughs> my, my wife says, hey, that, uh, that, that, that truck you brought home sounds kind of puny. Can you do something about it? It's like, uh, hold on. Let me call my friend David Borla up. I, I think we can help. He can, he can <laughs> solve that. He can solve that. So, wow, David, there's so much to get to. We actually have a Borla on the phone. This is uh, it's pretty cool. I wanted to take it back a minute before we get into the products. I want to hear a quick history on Borla because... Wait, 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 wait. Do you want the part where his dad is an immigrant from Transylvania or where he ran a Rolls Royce shop in Brooklyn and was getting fist fights with people? Or do you want the part where he came out to California and started working on Ferraris and Porsches and doing high-end exhaust for exotics? I was kind of hoping that David would have given us some of that. Oh, okay, got it. So Sorry. let's go back in time here. <laughs> you uh, you kind of nailed it. He might have done a better job than I can. But yeah, he, uh, he immigrated he immigrated here from Romania <clears throat> and... Uh, wound up in sort of like a an immigrant community with uh, people from other countries and a german guy um you know had a shop where he was uh wrenching on air-cooled volkswagens and so you know really my dad had done some work in the local blacksmith shop where he where he you know the, the small town he's from in romania where the black sh- the, uh, the shop was across the street from him so He'd work with the blacksmith, and that's where, like, you went to get anything fixed. So he had done some metal work there and wrenched on bicycles and stuff. So uh, this guy took him under his wing. My dad needed a job, and he got pretty good wrenching on uh, air-cooled Volkswagens, kind of wound up getting hired by a Volkswagen dealership and uh, worked his way up there, um, eventually moving on to Porsche because they, were, they shared dealerships at the time. You know, then he was uh, it was always kind of a gregarious guy, still is um, really likable and, and, you know, was always a, a good networker and wound up getting together with some guys, um, you know, that had some money and they uh, opened an exotic dealership together on Long Island. And uh, there was a period where he was selling, you know, Ferraris and Maseratis and stuff in the 70s on Long now, Island. Now, hold on. Wait, wait. Pause, pause, pause. You, I feel like you just skipped. He went from like kind of a, a jack-of-all-trades with metal, and then all of a sudden he's got an exotic sports car uh, retail. I'm still waiting okay. for that leap in my career. I haven't had that okay, yet. So, Holman, you're never so going to get there. I left a little, I left a little bit out because I'm trying not to drop names, but he, uh, he became good friends with uh, Rocky Aoki, who is um, Steve Aoki's dad. Benny ah, Ihana fame, right? Right, exactly. So uh, uh, Rocky loves cars and boats, you know, so... It's funny because I have all these pictures of my dad with Rocky with, you know, big bushy mustache and, <laughs> you know, like brown suits and stuff. It's pretty funny. I love it. But, um, yeah, so Rocky put up the money for them. I think my dad was working on Rocky's car at the Porsche dealership. I think that's how it happened. And then basically Rocky took my dad and they started a business together selling exotic cars. So that's Isn't that funny? kind of how it happened. David, I, I feel like there are a few stories like that that we've had over the last couple of years of uh, the Truck Show podcast where a really talented mechanic or fabricator or whatever will get found by someone who has uh, the wherewithal to push the person up the ladder. Like, hey, uh, you know, I, you're a really good painter. I'm going to put your stuff in a gallery. And the guy's like, are you sure? You know, that type of situation. It, and it feels yep. like your dad was in that that uh, circumstance that's exactly what it was totally and uh you know rocky could do it and uh they had a lot of fun together but um i think that whole thing in the 70s selling those cars it just 
didn't really work out for whatever reason. And so my dad, what he had learned there, the important sort of thing that he learned there was that Rolls Royce, there was a lot of money in Rolls Royce, or I should say the Rolls Royce market parts market was big because Rolls Royce were sort of these expensive cars that were really well known, had good reputation, but the reality was their undercarriage was all mild steel and everything was, was rusting out um, every winter. And so he realized that they were selling a lot of Rolls Royce parts and he kind of became interested in the part side of the business. And the next thing he did was he opened a foreign auto parts business and, uh, and primarily started selling Rolls Royce parts sort of after a while as he started to kind of learn the market. And he kind of found a niche for himself in New York City, um, in the New York City area. By the way, this all took place on the East Coast. So in the New York City area, he was like the guy for for undercarriage parts for Rolls Royce. Oh my God! And now, now let me ask you this, um, David: Were they salting the roads back then? They were, right? Exactly. Yeah. So that's all. What's really fine mild steel, and everything's falling apart under there. You're the guy in uh, Los Angeles for chili cheese dogs. It's funny how you guys have, you know, you each have something. <laughs> okay. I, I didn't know that I owned that yes. place. In, uh, uh, so uh, it's funny because my grandfather, Holman, I don't even know if you know this. My grandfather owned a 65 Bentley, which my grandfather used to make fun of for being the poor man's Rolls Royce. And yeah. now, of course, today, if you have a Bentley, you're a baller. Of course. Uh, uh, what happened to the, that car? Did he give it to the grandson he liked? No, he didn't, sadly. Did he sell it? Sold it, yeah. Sold uh, it with sold everything, yeah. Those cars were notorious. He was always wrenching on it, and there were, it was always breaking. Now, from a distance, it was beautiful and stately, as those cars were and are. And handmade and uh but man they were always labor falling apart and yeah. the elect the electrical and like you said the undercarriage so so take that story uh and where does it go from there so one one year uh, i think it was 77 ish or 78 um he had a bunch of uh, exhaust systems on order from england you know he was all he was you know getting legitimate parts from england and doing everything the right way and uh this guy disappeared you know, prior to the internet and all that stuff, he, you know, he called, he had like, I think something like a dozen exhaust systems on order from this guy. And, uh, and the guy's number was disconnected, gone. Nobody knew where he was. And he had a bunch of guys in the spring, which this is a good time to have this conversation because everybody sort of gets hot for parts right around now and they don't want to wait, you know, and he don't want to lose the sales. And, you know, he had sort of seen enough exhaust systems. A lot of what the, the first exhaust systems were really, Kind of the first ones he built were kind of based on his experience with Porsche, so you know he'd taken you know mufflers apart and you know he knew a lot about it. And um, but uh, he's just that sort of um, you know tough mentality. I'm not going to lose a sale. You know I'll figure this out kind of guy. And so and you know he always has been and always will be. And so he built our first pipe bender out of a gasoline engine. Um, I'm not even sure how he did it. <laughs> what? <laughs> they're normally hydraulic. Yeah. Yes. So, or, or they're electric ones now. Okay. Um, but um, uh, so I, I really previous should. to that, he was bending them with his own bare hands with his strength. Probably. Oh, he really? Yeah. 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 He, he was Mr. Yeah. Universe yeah. or whatever. <laughs> Huge biceps. But after yeah. a while, he's like, man, that, that's a lot of work. I thought you were going to tell me he hired Schwarzenegger to bend it over his knees. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, I really should like get him to draw draw it out like what how he did it but um i even remember you know it was indoors in like a little one bay shop in in uh, greenpoint brooklyn um you know running a uh, gasoline motor inside bent crush bending pipes they were not 
mandrel bent. It was crush bending. Could you imagine that in summertime? Little gas engine running, bending pipes, one one bay shop in Brooklyn. Oh and can, man! And can you imagine? I, this is why humans are much tougher. Uh, we're much tougher back then than we are today. Uh, hey, well, I can't. <laughs> I, I can't even do it justice. Like explaining to you how how crazy and cool he it probably was had like a is. giant pet rat that would come out of the sewer and eat up his you know his lunch leftovers. Can you imagine trying to pull that off today with OSHA walking yeah. in? Hey, uh, what's uh, what do you got? Oh my god, fumes! That what's, what's that? that? Yeah. yeah, no, it's like you couldn't do coal mining like they did you know back in the day or gold mining. None of that stuff exists. Like those no. were when the, men were men. That's right. I have to say the, those uh, those humans are so much tougher than we are. <laughs> so uh, at this point. You know, it's just basically a question of whether or not the customers were going to accept what he did. And, uh, you know, a lot of the things that we take for granted, uh, you know, about exhaust systems, um, aftermarket exhaust systems, you know, he sort of had from the very beginning. So so some of the things were he used stainless steel, um, you know, which at the time was like an exotic aerospace material. People weren't making mufflers out of stainless steel. So and uh the second thing was he was offering complete bolt-on exhaust systems. So the market back in the day was muffler shops, right? You'd buy like a universal muffler of some kind, go to a muffler shop, and they would bend you up an exhaust system, even a performance one, like the hot rod days. That's how it was happening. So my dad decided he was going to offer like a full bolt-on kit, you know, in a big box that you could just bolt right on. You didn't need to go to a custom shop to have it done. And then uh, he offered a lifetime warranty uh, from the very beginning as well. So uh, right from the get-go, those three things were in place, and they, they've lived with us, you know, this whole time. And, uh, you know, hundreds of companies around the world have copied that, that business model. So he um, was pretty amazing that, that he was able to do that at that time. And, of course, the customers did accept it, but there's a whole other side of this I haven't gotten to you yet that's incredibly important, which is my mom. So my mom uh, is from from the L.A. area, and she has a background in marketing. And so she instantly got the idea to have a brand at this point. you know. And so he's the product, and she's the brand. So this is David. How far into this is it, David? This is what, the late 70s? Yeah, this was 1978 is when they incorporated. So I'm assuming this was the summer before. It must have been 77. And so um, right away, she started thinking about making a catalog. And like they had this whole vision for the business. So the very first catalog, the Borla catalog, is all late 70s uh, Rolls-Royce exhaust system. Do you guys have a copy of that at the at the office? Is that something yeah, yeah. in the archives? Uh-huh. That's awesome. Uh-huh. And mm-hmm. I, I'm dying to know, I know this is not part of the exhaust story, but you, your mom is from the Southern California area and your dad is from you know Brooklyn. How did they meet? Mm-hmm. Was there a Rolls connection, Rolls-Royce? or my, my dad was on his way out here for business, I, I think during the Rocky Aoki years. And... Um, he met somebody that was acquainted with my mom on an airplane on the way out here. And this person was like, I, I want to, you know, I have to introduce you to this girl and wound up being my mom. Okay. Those, those were the like, good old days when you like can serendipity. smoke on airplanes. Yeah, you know what I mean? Serendipity. I mean, yeah. can you imagine if somebody you met on an airplane today was like, hey, I got somebody you want to meet. And you're like on Facebook, you're trying to find out who they are. You're doing a background yeah. check before you land. I can't find their LinkedIn profile. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure this. I can meet them. Right? I can't swipe right or left on this person. <laughs> yeah, things have changed a lot. But uh, so that's that's how it all happened. And then you know, from there, um, the guy with the Rolls Royce, his wife 
drove a Mercedes and her, you know, she needed an exhaust system. And so he liked what my dad did on the Rolls Royce. So he brought the Mercedes and, you know, the thing that they did was they always had the, you know, he always wanted to be able to repeat whatever it was that he built. So if he built an exhaust system on a particular year making model, he would build a, he would build a fixture, like a crude fixture so that he could rebuild that thing without having the vehicle. And that's what allowed them to have a catalog and to take orders for things. And, you know, it's, and, and all these things, you know, we're still using fixtures today. We're still using stainless steel. We still have a, you know, a million mile warranty now. Well, yeah, I was going to say, um, not just stainless steel though. Like a lot of people will claim stainless steel, but back when your dad started the business, there's only one grade and it was aerospace and that was the same stainless steel for cutlery and kitchens and stuff. But today there's people that use T400, T409. You guys still today are using T304, and you, uh, like you said, the million-mile warranty is basically the equivalent of the lifetime warranty when your mom was thinking about branding the business back in the day. And that that's incredible that those tenants of the business are still relevant, you know, this many years later. You guys are super knowledgeable. Yes, all of that <laughs> is totally true. Exactly. How did you get the word out? How did your mom get the word out in the very beginning? Because they probably had a small pool of uh, you know, high-end clients with Rolls Royce were have it's always been and probably word clientele. of mouth to those people, is, but, but word but of a mouth small group, right? Well, that's what I'm saying. Is word of mouth is only going to get you a couple hundred exhaust sales deep, right? It's not going to get you, especially to the if next you are level. replacing them every year, right? Because you basically you're you have that customer, yeah. and they're they're not coming back. No, he's obsoleting his customer, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, I mean, back then, I think if they had a couple dozen sales, they would have been happy with it, and word of mouth was to a certain extent in the beginning enough, but. It's an awesome question. Where it really started was the first ads were tiny, tiny little, I think it was, you know, in the autos section of the New York Times. or like, And I think it was the classified section, like the auto classified section were the first ads that they ran um, in the New York Times. And oh, then, but that stuff was, Dave, that was pretty effective back in those days. We all read mm-hmm. the classified. I mean, that's where everyone got mm-hmm. their news back in the day. And then it went to... Yep. Uh, what not Auto Trader? What was it? Recycler on the West well, Coast? Yeah, and, yeah, both Recycler, Auto Trader. They always had these zines that people. We all read them, right? I mean, hell, yeah. we even read Boys Life back in the day. Well, I I read. <laughs> uh, I would take uh, the Recycler or the Auto Trader, and then I would find the car that I was dreaming about in high school, you know, and I'd have it behind like my math book so that my teacher couldn't see it was actually going through the Auto Trader, and then I would, uh, you know, it's all black and white newsprint. So I would always find the cars that I liked, and then I would um, modify them. I'd put better wheels and tires and doodle on top of them and make them look cooler <laughs> and, like, trace over them and stuff like that. So like, you put a piece of tracing paper on top no, of it? No, no, oh, right, right on the oh, car. Just on right, it. Like, just, it's sort of like the realtor, you know, bundles of notepads that you get on your uh, on your porch that your kids draw sunglasses and uh, mustaches on. I did that, but the automotive aftermarket upgrade on the uh, auto trader stuff. So, you know, th- that's where, like, guys were buying and selling Rolls Royces, so it made a lot of sense sort of, you know, to be right there with those guys. And, and then the next the next one was uh, Car and Driver, like a 16th uh, or even smaller, 16th of a page or smaller in the back of Car and Driver. And that was a huge deal when they could afford to do that after the, the New York Times. And at what point does it turn into a real business where you take on other fitment? Because he had a Porsche background, right? So when does it start being Porsche? Right. How does it go from... That and eventually so, we end up with trucks, which of course for our audience yeah, we end up with trucks. But okay, so uh, L.A. So when, when they moved to when they moved to California, they moved they moved out here for a couple reasons. One is my mom wanted to be closer to her family, and then uh, the next thing also was just you know the car culture out here was just a better place to be. So when he got out here, 
the whole thing shifted to Porsches primarily and some other exotics. Um, and, you know, he had his place that they had their place out in Oxnard and guys like, it was kind of funny cause it was like either guys like Sylvester Stallone. I remember that like guys like him, you know, either them personally coming out or having one of their handlers drop off their car, you know, and be like, Oh my God, that's Sylvester Stallone's car. That kind of thing. And that would have been, I'm going to go sit in it and defile it. And that would have been pre <laughs> pre plastic sur- surgery, right? That was- <laughs> yes, I would okay. think so. So, uh, uh, or, or they were drug dealers. That was, you know, so it was like that cash only business right there. (laughs) That eighties vibe, you know. So uh, it was that kind of thing, you know. And again, then then we had a whole catalog of Porsche parts. If you talk to sort of the old guard of Porsche guys during the eighties, you know, like the Borla stuff was pretty hot. You know, we didn't keep up with it for reasons I'll get into in a minute. But back in the day, like he was kind of the the guy for Porsche stuff at that point, and then they stopped keeping up with the Rolls Royce stuff and, and that all kind of went away. He wound up selling all that tooling to somebody else at a certain point. And, and then it was like, and David, uh, so the, the Porsche segue right there uh, and the exotics were guys coming to him because on the West coast, we don't have salted roads. We don't have the corrosion issues that they did on the East coast. So was it the sound that the guys were going for? Or was it the appearance or a combination or the quality? Of both? Yeah. Back then, and uh, it's kind of funny that you mentioned it the way you do. Uh, power was number one. Okay. It was all about power because okay. stock exhaust systems were very restrictive. And uh, and it was and the beginning of the up. smog era, too. I mean, they, through the 80s, yeah, everything yeah, smog popped. Yeah. And- I remember when I, even like in the late 90s when I first started kind of really getting into it with him, uh, you know, you could pick up 40, 50 horsepower with, a, with an exhaust system, um, you know, and, and – or, you know, 20 was not unusual at all, which is now, you know, nobody even thinks about anything like that because everything's so efficient. So believe it or not, it was all about power. But um, even though the roads aren't salted out here and there's probably not really a need for T304, why does somebody need to buy a Porsche anyway? I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's all for fun and it's all stuff you don't need anyway. So I think there was sort of this sex appeal to the exotic material even though it wasn't really functional at that point necessarily. Now, David, did you have to sell the high-performance aspect of it? Because I find in this industry, you know, Holman and I will come across guys all the time. They go, you know, the exhaust can't do that much and blah, blah, blah. And I, and I have my stupid analogy is that if you have a, a drinking straw, you and I could both breathe through a drinking straw for a few minutes if we had to. It's pretty restrictive. But then make that drinking straw 10 feet long, well, now you and I, our lungs are not powerful enough to suck mm-hmm. and blow through that drinking straw because of the, the back pressure exerted mm-hmm. on, you know, Mother Nature's pushing uh, in on us. We can't do that. And so that's an a oversimplification of what an exhaust system has to do. The, the piston on the exhaust stroke has to push all the way out to the tip of the exhaust pipe, right? And the wider that is, the more, uh, the less restriction there is, the easier it is for that piston to push through the exhaust valve and all the way out to the tip of the tailpipe. Uh, was there a learning curve for your, um, your early customers or did you have to educate them? What was that process like? So I may upset some people by saying this. I say it partially in jest, but this is back when 
magazine editors had some balls and were willing to do dino shootouts. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I, I remember so, when that died because I was uh, I used to do that all the time in my early years. And then, so back now, they're, then, now they're afraid of pissing every, people off. Is that what it is? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. yeah they, they don't want to risk the ad dollars. And, you know, granted, you know, if we lost an exhaust shootout, I probably wouldn't want to advertise in that magazine either. So <laughs> I don't, you know, I don't blame them. But uh, back then it was what it was. I think they weren't really counting on the aftermarket for ad dollars as much, maybe, you know, and so, you know, it was just, it was what it was, but we, we were winning. We were just winning. And a lot of it had to do with the, the, the muffler design more so than the diameter of the tubing. You oh, know, okay. My dad was using like a, what's called a straight through design that a lot of people are using now. He's of course evolved that and we've evolved that a lot since then. We can talk about that in a minute, but um, it was really the muffler technology at the time. Um, you know, but also getting the right diameters and all that stuff and just squeezing out all the, all the horsepower from it. Um, you know, other muffler manufacturers were primarily in, interested in sound. And, you know, later on, we, we became one of those companies too. But at that time, it was really all about power. And, and that's kind of where he made his mark. And interestingly, this is a cool thing. He made his mark a little bit later, a little bit after the Porsche thing, um, uh, drag racing kind of started to become aware of him because he was making uh power with porsches and so that's sort of how he got dragged into the domestic side of things was was really through drag racing because those guys you know wanted the power and what was going on was back in the early days when they built these drag strips they were in the middle of nowhere but as the 80s came developers were getting you know putting homes closer and closer to these drag strips and now they had to have uh noise requirements and so my dad kind of became well known in that, you know, that sort of group um, for what, what we call fast and quiet. So everybody talks about fast and loud, um, but really as an exhaust guy where, where it gets really hard is fast and quiet because fast and loud, you don't really have to attenuate the sound at all. You can basically have straight pipes if you want to be fast and loud. Um, but if you want to be fast and quiet, you know, killing the sound waves and keeping the exhaust gases moving, you know, that's, that's hard to do. So he kind of became the guy for fast and quiet, which nobody wants to talk about these days, but back then it was a big deal. No, but he did, he didn't really have an education or a background in mechanical engineering or material science, that type of thing. Or so computational fluid dynamics, that too. So nothing. How, so how did it, was it just, just by sheer experimentation or did yep. you bring people into the company who were, had, you know, had a scientific background? At that time, it was all like reverse engineering, trial and error stuff. He didn't bring, he didn't bring guys like that in until later. So when I was, I'm, I'm in my, uh, I'm in my, I'm say early to mid forties now. <laughs> okay. I don't have a five in front of my number like uh, like my man across the table does. Thanks, um, thanks Dick. You're you're welcome. Uh, what I remember in the when I was a kid growing up and I had thirteen car magazine subscriptions and you know became aware of Borla was something we haven't talked about yet and that's the intercooled tip. And I remember the Borla ads that showed the intercooler intercooled tip and and as a kid who's just a total car fanatic who doesn't have his license and doesn't come from a car family. I thought those things looked so futuristic and space age. I'm kind of curious how they came to, to be, why, and they're still available on vehicles today. So really cool that you remember all that. And thank you for saying that. So uh, that was a, a design from uh, old Porsche race cars. Really? And uh, what he, one thing that he did was 
the center of it on the Porsches were protruding out. And, um, you know, so the smaller center section of it, you know, if you think of like um, an apple core, apple cutter, you know, that circle part in the middle yep. was extending out. And what was happening was my dad saw this, you know, a lot because people would burn themselves on this thing. So he had the idea of moving that center part in. So if you see them, you'll you, you'll notice that ah. the middle part is set back a little bit. But um, and that whole thing was functional. You know, again, it was like all about, you know, power, you know, functionality, racing and stuff like that. And so what he wanted to do was keep the touch temperature of the exhaust tip down, you know, either, you know, either for a real practical racing application or even just for the street. So you don't burn your, you know, burn your shin on it. Now, um, did so, that work when cars went to like urethane bumpers and things like that? Because there's a lot of early exhausts on cars that were sort of fire breathing where you would see the fascias around the bumper or around the tip would be melted. And I would assume that yeah. that probably mitigated some of that as well. I think mitigate is the right word. What I was just going to say is it's, you know, I mean, it's, it's only going to work to a certain degree. Um, you know, and basically the heat dissipates through those fins. They're like cooling fins is basically what they are. Um, so like, you know, it, it'll drop it a hundred degrees, you know, something like that. But I mean, if the, if the thing's, you know, 1700 degrees, you know, it's not going to do much, but, but at the tailpipe tip, typically things are cooling down at that point. And, uh, it, it does work. It's functional right now. We primarily use them on our carbon fiber tips and, um, you know, it helps keep the touch temperature down of the resin that's in the carbon fiber. And, you know, for durability, it's really helpful. Um, and it's also a cool look too. It's still a cool look. If you uh, haven't seen the uh, Borla carbon fiber tips, uh, there's, it's a little bit different than the early intercooled tips. Yeah. Um, they're, it just looks like an evolution, but they're modern, and uh, they're still very cool looking to this day. I, I, I think the new ones look even better than the originals, but I'll, I remember the first time that I saw a, uh, a Corvette with Borla exhaust. I knew instantly, you know, exhaust is one of those things that it's a dirty part. You don't really see it, and you don't know whose exhaust it is, and how many times have you gone to a car show or something, or a guy drives by, and you're like, what exhaust is that? And Borla it's is one of the, the case, few, yeah, where, Borla. yeah, one of the few brands that when you see that tip, you know that that car has a, got a Borla on it. Yeah, we uh, we also just for the record, we we offer sort of non-intercooled, more traditional tips too. So, you know, we offer a wide variety. The whole tip thing has gotten it's very you know like fashion oriented. Sure. So everybody wants different colors and different shapes and finishes. And well, I mean, they're, they're, yeah, they're, they're getting into crazy. titanium and yeah. blue and. Well, you know. I heard a rumor that when you don't go with the uh, intercooled tips on a Borla exhaust, that they actually change the uh, the frequency of the muffler, so it goes Borla, <laughs> and then you know who's exhausted. Oh, it. Does it really? Yeah, yeah, that's how they that's how they do that. It's not pre-recorded like an MP3 player. Oh no, 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 that's with a big, no? clearly through uh, through the exhaust system. Gotcha. The special mu- Borla muffler. Well, speaking of that, I mean, their polyphonic technology. I'm dying to ask about that. So, it, it gets into you. You've got the horsepower thing licked. And you get into sound. How much engineering is there with sound? Because that's a that's a you know we're men. It you know guys love turbo whistle. They love supercharger whine. They love the exhaust note. So in today's day and age, us and and you know everybody else in the game too, um, you know we've had to step it up quite a bit. There are a lot more tools available now, and you know we have uh, more resources, so we can kind of you know, get into all that stuff. And um, really, again, you know, it goes back to my dad's, my, the first patent my dad had was what was called the multi-core patent, also kind of back from the 80s. And 
that was the way he was he was quieting down these these big dragsters was that he was using multiple um perforated pipes you know put together as one um, a core made of like numerous perforated pipes and uh he found that that was attenuating sound better than one big perforated pipe and it was still you know flowing pushing all that air through it he'd also always and, and so the polyphonic thing kind of you know sort of the transition from from him to me you know and me getting kind of more involved in it and i um, have a little bit of a musical background and my dad had always <clears throat> told me that we tune our exhaust systems i can hear this echoing in my head um, <laughs> we tune our exhaust systems like a pipe organ meaning that um, the length and diameter, the various lengths and diameters of pipes, um, uh, you know, work like, an, like, the, like a pipe organ. If you look in a church or whatever, you see these varying lengths and diameters of pipes up, you know, near the ceiling. And each one of those is a different note on the organ. And that's, you know, the organ's generating the same tone, and they run it all through these different pipes, and the, the pipes change the tone. One day I was just looking at his, uh, at his um, multi-core patent and then thinking about the pipe organ thing. And I, he had always used the same diameter on all the perforated pipes and they had always been perforated. So I just had this moment where I thought, what if we took that idea, made them all solid pipes and varied the um, lengths and diameters like a pipe organ? You know, I wonder what would happen. And so... We started messing around with it and it was like this is pretty cool you know and um but it was all again sort of like trial and error and um we weren't exactly sure how it was working and uh so then i had the opportunity to visit a pipe organ factory and uh, i went obviously and uh i talked Which to the owner super fascinating by the way if you've ever seen how they tune pipe organs or how they go about restoring them <clears throat> it is so freaking cool and there is a a size. There's like one guy in the world who's like this master for tuning old pipe organs, and it's I don't know. I fell through that trap when uh, the Crystal Cathedral became the Christ Cathedral in Orange County, and they had the it's the fourth I think biggest organ in the world or seventh biggest organ, and they had it refurbished. And there's a video of how what great lengths they had to go through because of all the candle wax and dust and bird poop and everything else that was in the pipes, and they had to ship it I think to Europe to have it redone, and I got in this, like, I call it WikiWebs, where I just start chasing info and links on the internet, and, like, three days later, I was an organ expert. It was, it was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so the thing, about a, the thing about an organ is it's a polyphonic instrument, so that's where the whole polyphonic thing comes, which means you can play more than one note at, at a time, and a guitar is also a poly, polyphonic instrument, um, like a trumpet or a saxophone or something is monophonic. <clears throat> so... What the big thing I learned at the at the pipe organ factory was that the ratio of the lengths and diameters of the tubes are all based on Pythagoras Pythagoras formulas and calculations. They go back that far. <clears throat> and so I know a little bit about music theory. I understand how to make chords, power chords on a guitar, stuff like that. Um, they're essentially you're playing the root and the fifth. It's a perfect fifth. And so what I found out was that whatever note you play, the perfect fifth is a sort of multiplying factor with the diameter. You can always kind of find out what the relationship is. So I started using these formulas, the well-known formulas from uh, pipe organs. They're not a mystery to anybody. I just started applying them to what we do. And uh, 
tough to say it works. It doesn't make your car sound like an organ or a guitar, um, but it does something pretty unique and pretty rich. And, um, you know, we use it a lot and uh, it's it's been amazing. And um, it's primarily really good um, at kind of giving it a little bit more of an aggressive note, um, a little bit more of like a high mid rangey kind of um, a- aggressive sound to it. Um, when we get something that just doesn't really sound rich enough, um, we can add, you know, some, we have various different, you know, combinations that we can use. The more we use them, the more we learn. Um, we're still sort of, we still laugh about it when, when we're doing it because we don't expect it to work and, and it works. It's just, it's pretty cool. It's been a lot of fun, actually. How often do you find yourself trying to tune a frequency out? Because a lot of, uh, let's say, you know, some of your competitors will make uh, exhausts that will drone. You get a certain or, RPM. Or tuning out frequencies on like a V6, which sounds crappy anyway, like a Raptor. And when you guys have that, uh, your system on a Ford GT with the V6 with the EcoBoost, and mm-hmm. that thing sounds amazing, whereas most V6s, including the Raptor, sound awful. And and I've heard that thing go around a track. It's like, woo. Sound canceling, getting rid of bad frequencies is a different technology, not something that we've patented um, like the polyphonic is. And this actually is technology that goes back to the late 1800s. And it's just sound canceling technology. It's actually stuff that is used in loudspeaker design. Um, and, and exhaust systems. Those are the two places it's really used. Um, there's a, uh, a German engineer, his last name's Helmholtz. So you may have heard that, that word, a Helmholtz chamber or a resonance chamber. And um, that gets into, you know, real just straight up science of how to cancel frequencies. And we've gotten pretty deep into that. It's kind of funny the way we're talking about this because back in the day, nobody cared about drones. It just wasn't even an issue. Really, the older the older generation didn't care. They would bite their lip, and sweat, and and go deaf as long as they sounded bitching outside the car. <laughs> they, they, they did not care what it sounded like inside the car. Was well, that because you know? the, the cars had such creaks and groans and rattles and everything else? They were nothing was isolated. It was a whole experience back then. Yeah, I, I think it's just a generational thing too. You know, World War II generation. I had a guy. I had a guy say it to me. You know, he's like, it burps, it farts, and I love it. You know, <laughs> I mean, that's why like, people like this show. To be honest with you, <laughs> yeah, perfect. Yeah, that's, that's why we're popular with our with our listeners. Now, does, but, but you know, know, to think about it, like the World War II guys, they're flying across the Pacific in a B twenty nine. Yeah, you exactly. know, brrr, you know, build radial engines. They can't hear anyway. So you know, it's. I would imagine get, maybe you it's get, comforting. You get, uh, you get two of those motors on both sides of a big plane like that, rotating at the whatever the right thing is, you will experience a drone like you've never heard in your life. <laughs> That's so, why the cars are like, yeah, whatever, it reminds me of my good old days. Do you know, my, my grandfather worked in a book bindery in uh, like Hackensack, New Jersey or somewhere, and they the machines were, it was a printing factory, all day, every day, and he went deaf, like not totally deaf, but he was really hard of hearing. What? And that wouldn't happen today because you'd be, OSHA would make you wear hearing, right. you know. You, they, Says the guy sitting across from me who literally can't hear half the time. What'd you say? <laughs> so uh, it, it's interesting that, uh, yeah, the older generation, like you just put up with it or or it was bitching. And today we're like, I don't like that tone. It sounds like a there C, can't C be sharp. Any yeah. drone. There cannot right. be no. any None. drone in anything. Today. Ever. Like yeah. no hint of it. We're, we're so vigilant about it. 
And we need to be able to put on every product that the thing doesn't drone, like with a big, you know, yellow triangle, because everybody asks the question and you want to know what? The products are better. I mean, they just are. I mean, the old stuff was fun and that's great, but things move forward for a reason, you know, and the, and they're just really well-balanced exhaust systems now. And how does um, that dovetail, David, into your attack technology, the uh, what acoustically tuned applied kinetics? So where your your super aggressive sound without drone, how do you pull that off? So it's a little bit of a mixture. The attack is sort of a mixture of my dad's uh, multi-core and, and my polyphonic thing where we're mixing straight pipes and perf pipes and using this sort of polyphonic technology all together. So with a polyphonic, everything's going to be a straight pipe. You'll see a lot of small diameter straight pipes all put together. Um, hard to explain on the phone, but you, I'm sure you can find it and you'll see. Um, so, but the attack technology will combine some perforated tubing so that, um, we can kind of still use a packed muffler and get some of that warmth. Um, that old school design of a perf core wrapped in some sort of packing material, um, will give a little bit of body and a little bit of warmth to a system. So if we're, if it's just feeling too crackly, too high end, too, um, uh, raspy, you know, which some people want it as raspy as they can get. Um, and then, you know, sometimes we, we want to bring a little bit of more warmth into it. And the attack thing, you know, kind of started as the technology and we have a patent on it and all that stuff's real. And that's sort of how we refer to it internally. But it also just became sort of a word for something that's very aggressive from us. So we just started using it on all of our most aggressive systems. But we mix and match the technology, you know, to meet the mark because every motor is different. Every cab configuration is different. You know, like working on the new, working on the new F-150s now. You know, first one we got was a five liter uh, standard cab short bed. Those are so is, hard to find. Which, and they're so fun. Holy fuck. They only build um, like two, was it 250 of those a year? Because I have a friend who just bought one. Standard cab standard, short, no, well, short, standard bed. Cab, short bed. Uh, with a five-liter Coyote in it. He looked and looked and looked, and he ended up buying one from Oxnard, so he probably stole one that Bortle had ordered or something like that. Probably the same one we worked on. Yeah, it can might have been. Them? Pullman, can you order them? Or is it you can... It, they yeah, only but, come you, but they, they, only, they only are built like in batches, I guess. So it's actually the guy who installed my supercharger, uh, Sandy, who uh, works for Adventure Off-Road, and he bought, uh, basically, it might have been the same one that you worked on because... He bought it from a dealership in Oxnard. They weren't going to sell it. They were going to use it as like a dealership project. And he said, okay, well, tell me what it's going to be, and I'll, I'm still interested. And the dealer said, no, we're going to keep it for a while. And then I guess the dealer called him back and said, you know what? If you want it, we'll sell it to you. And he ended up buying it. And he looked all over the country, and I think the only other one he found at that time was on the East Coast. And he goes, they literally are impossible to find that truck. Like They'll build it. Uh, but it's it's very they're very rare, and he's basically building a modern-day lightning out of it. Well, if you haven't driven one, I recommend you do because I had so much fun driving that thing. I really did. But uh, what I wanted to get at was that um, that that configuration, because it's a short wheelbase, does not have a front muffler on it. The crew cab five liter short bed has a front muffler on it. And so, you know, to for us, that's a big deal because we're trying to, you know, get a certain sound. And so um, even though it's the same motor, we wind up using very different muffler technology to kind of get to the same place with both applications. So do they end up sounding the same or does the, does the uh, regular cab 
have a completely different vibe to it. Still Borla, but but different than a crew cab if you heard them side by side. I think outside outside the car, outside the vehicle, you probably wouldn't be able to tell a difference. On the inside, you would mostly because the shape of the cabin really affects what you hear inside inside the vehicle. With that, with the, with the standard cab short bed F one fifty, with only so many of them being built. Does it make sense for you financially to to make that because you're you're making a jig and all that stuff and you're like and then you're only going to get a portion of the market the guys who want a badass 304 stainless you know system I wonder what kind of business decision that is So you know if you want to be relevant on a platform you got to make a commitment to that platform that's something that we've learned over the years you know just cherry picking the high movers and all that stuff like we appeal to some pretty hardcore enthusiasts and you know these are guys that are listening to your show these are guys that are you know on the internet on forums and talking to each other and um you know we want to show a commitment to the f-150s you know and all the pickup trucks i mean you know we just made a decision that that's who we are and and these guys want stuff from us and really a truck like that the guys that buy that truck you know, they're, they're, you know, sort of on the high level of this whole thing. And, and so, um, thankfully we're in a position where it doesn't have to be all about the money. You know, we can, we can do stuff that we like, that's fun, that's meaningful, um, to the marketplace. And so sure at the end of all of it, you know, our return probably won't be the same because we invest the same amount of, of, you know, in research and development and and the sales aren't going to be there, but, um, we just think it's important for us to do it. I mean, on the other end of it, you know, we're going to do the two seven. We did the two seven. We did we did the what is it? Three point three. There's like a three. Yeah, the three three normally aspirated. You know, yeah. We just we're going to do them all. We're just going to do them all, and that's that's who we are. And we want to have a, a full catalog and show that commitment. You know, I wanted to ask about some of the current trends, and we'll get back to trucks in a second because obviously, but um, pie cut exhaust. When we know damn well that air does not like to make. Turns. It, it doesn't like to make 90 degree turns or, you know, or, or angles all the way down. And that's let the latest trend. I've even seen it, guys doing it on old C10s and stuff, trying to make trick looking pie cut exhaust. And then also everyone's everyone wants to snap, crackle and pop and backfire. What are your opinions on those latest trends happening now, even though, you know, they're not good? <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, the thing about the pie cut thing for me more than anything is just the liability of all those welds. Uh, you know, it's just there. You know, every time you add a weld to something, it's it's a, a you know a potential durability issue. That's got to be so, a style thing, though, right? I mean, those guys oh, just want that vibe. Thing. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's style a style thing, thing and it's a uh, it's um an art thing. Like yeah, like the look guys at my that welds. do that stuff. The guys that do that stuff are talented. Yeah, you know, we we I'll I'll stand up and say it. Like we don't have welds like that. We're not trying to have welds like that. We use production welds because we have a million mile warranty. So. Sometimes they're they're heavy, you know, but they're heavy for a reason. So, uh, you know, but I'm not here to whatever. We don't hate on anybody and it is what it is. There's a market for that stuff. And, you know, it's just not really who we are and we're not going in that direction. And um, but it's hard to say that any of this really matters. I mean, it's all just for fun anyway. So somebody likes it. God bless them. Yeah, I mean, we're not curing cancer, right? We're just making our cars and trucks <laughs> yeah. go fast. No, but you know what? It sound good doing well, it. Hold on a second. So, time out, because if a guy needs toilet paper, yeah. he's going to walk in and buy whatever's on the shelf. He's not like, I need three-ply charm. He doesn't care. That's wrong. And it's not wrong. Well, that, you're an exception. No, it's 100% you're, wrong. You're an exception. I won't use the one-ply. You're, you're an exception. Send it back. Dude, you're an exception. Unless it's an emergency. 
okay, look, what I'm saying is, so he'll just buy whatever. He should obsess over that, but he won't. Where he obsesses over something he doesn't need. He, he will. We all do the same thing. We will Are you really something. equating the quality and magic of a boiler exhaust system with a toilet paper no, purchase? No, of course not. <laughs> okay, don't just checking because you, you know David's on the phone right now, right? put me in that corner. Okay, I'm just checking. I'm I want to make sure. a necessity, right? You know what I mean? Like, we will obsess over an exhaust system. We will do so much research for months. We will find out just the right one, just like... And then you'll go buy a pie cut one that sounds crappy anyway. No, I won't. I, I won't. No, I because I for the for the same reason that David just pointed out. It's a. It's 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 not going to sound as good. B. It'll probably ring and sound like ass. B. The welds could break. It is pretty, but it's it's trendy, and I want something that's bent on a tube bender where the guys thought through and maybe did and flows right or flowed. You know, put on a flow bench and all that stuff, right? So yeah, and also I mean, really, the where those pie cut where it came from. We're just guys that didn't have a pipe bender. Right. We're buying we're buying U bends and and ninety degree bends and trying to make something happen, you know. So it really was inferior to a pipe bender from the beginning. It just said had a certain look to it. Now, the pops and crackles you're talking about, uh, that's become really really popular, you know. And um, we we do it, you know. We certainly do it, but we're always going to offer something for the same vehicle that doesn't do it. Also, now if you want a, it, what exhaust is that? That's going to be the attack. Okay, so that's our the attack. attack primarily our attack. Our attack. You know. Can I ask um, a dumb question? And David, how does it work? Like, what do you? I always thought it was done with with either uh, you know ignition or timing, or it was done in the engine, right? It was done with fueling. So you're lighting. Still, it still is. It's just that the original exhaust system is tuning it out somehow oh you know and so we just free it up it's just just by freeing it up and by letting it happen we just let it happen is really we don't we don't do anything it, it is engine related and now now something like the new uh veloster and not that i expect you to know about this being a truck show but the hyundai veloster n and some other sort of um sporty vehicles like yeah, that from the factory they're yeah they're deliberately doing it from the factory it's sort of you could, I mean, it's not artificial because it's actually really happening, but they're artificially sort of making it happen. I don't know. For me as a car guy, when you start getting into that artificial stuff and th- that gets into like, you know, piping exhaust systems in through the stereo. I hate that. And, We've uh, talked yeah, about that on this show. Like the V8 noise that comes through a Raptor stereo system to augment and you, yeah. you can't turn it off. To me, so we've said this before, right? Like V6s kind of sound like like butt. And they're not they're not always great, and a V8 so much better. But when you look at and there's exotics in the world. Let's look at a, a Nissan GTR, 3.8 liter dual overhead cam, direct injected, twin turbocharged V6. That is one of the best sounding V6s in the world. If you're mm-hmm. going to take that same deal, dual overhead cam, three and a half liter or so V6, twin turbo, direct injected, and put it in your your you know, top echelon sports truck, own it. Like that's an exotic drivetrain in other parts of the market. Why hide it? Why don't you do everything you can to to celebrate it? Because we want to hear the turbos. I, I don't mind hearing a V6 if it sounds good. The N- Nissan is probably one of the only companies that has nailed performance V6 sounds. Mm-hmm. Even, the, even the G35. That's oh my gosh, that's a great sounding car. That thing sounds great right from the factory. Yeah, but Z, I think so, uh, you, you you use the word own it or whatever the phrase own it. That's the way I feel about it. When we get a V6, we're not trying to make it sound like a V8. It's like we're going to make this thing the best it can sound, you know, the best it can sound as a V6. And we have love for how a V6 sounds, how a V6 turbo sounds, even we even four cylinders. 
and we embrace them for what they are and we bring the best out of what it is and you know and that's it David, do you have a good example of something that has surprised you that it came in sounding like uh, ass and and you're like, wow, we really turned that note around? Uh, just, I mean, it happens all the time, but just off the top of my head, the Ford Explorer ST. Oh, okay. That thing, I, I was really happy with, with, with what we did with that because, and the reason I say it is because that particular platform, um, you know, it it's just guys buy it who really want something else, but they need an SUV and they're looking for something sporty and they, you know, they're, they want a few moments in their day where they sort of have that feeling. And, uh, and, and I think we were able to do that on that truck and we're getting really good feedback, but I could probably mention a hundred others um, that I feel we've done a really good job with. I mean, uh, you know, we have a T-Rex in our place right now. So that's a performance vehicle and a performance truck. Right. So that thing, you know, they're, they're sort of, um, you know, letting it be a little bit louder from the factory than, than maybe some of the other ones, but your typical, um, you know, pickup truck from the factory is just really sort of boring sounding. And, um, and so, you know, we, we have fun all day long, every day, making these things, bringing the, the engine note out of it and, you know, sort of setting the thing free. It's, uh, it's fun to do. So what are some of the more popular truck kits? Obviously, you've got your like your Silverado 1500s. Uh, you've got all the, the Ram, the 5.7s, stuff like that. Do you have one that's a, a standout that you're like a kind of a runaway success in the for our market? So, you know, all three of the, the big platforms are, are, you know, pretty close to each other. Um, and they, you know, one might sort of launch a, a little bit ahead of the other one every now and again. Um, for about the last year, uh, Ram, believe it or not, Ram Ram has has nudged out the other two a little bit in the last year or so. Well, plus the uh, the Ram has the way the uh, the tailpipes are Frenched into the rear bumper, so putting yep. a big mm-hmm. old tip there just looks right. You know, yep. like like it's almost like they planned for you to take off the three and a half inch and put in a four and a half inch or five inch tip, kind of like the way they did with the uh, with the TRX. Something happened when, the, you know, I know they're not trucks, but the Challengers, the Chargers, you know, then the Hellcat came. Um, that whole company just seems to be really targeting the kinds of guys that like to modify their trucks or their, their vehicles. God, um, God bless and, them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and we're just seeing a lot of it. You know, look, tons of Silverado stuff, tons of F-150 stuff. I mean, they're all big, big sellers. And there are millions of those trucks all over the place and we love all of them and they all have their own uh you know thing about them and you know the t1 silverados are are amazing vehicles they're, we're working on all the the t1 suvs now um those are fantastic vehicles but they're a little bit more conservative than the rams the rams are bold how know? hard is it with the uh the t1s with active fuel management uh to get the sound right especially when they drop down into four-cylinder mode i would imagine the suvs are probably a little more noticeable than the uh, than the trucks are when you put a an exhaust on them for whatever reason on the t1s it wasn't a problem we really didn't have to think about it very much um it has been a problem in the past um yeah the k2 trucks made a big resonant uh difference yep and uh and you know on the on the sports cars whatever the corvette you know they have these active valves you know to deal with it and they're not doing that on the pickup trucks but um it just wasn't an issue 
and when it's not an issue, we don't dig into it and try to figure out why. So, and now you don't have to worry about it because uh, Chevy's not; uh, they can't get the chips to make the uh, the cylinders turn off, right? That's right. And they give me a whopping fifty dollars discount on the truck. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how I felt about that whole technology ever. Anyway, I, I drive a um, uh, Grand Cherokee SRT. Oh, and, um, God, I love the, the exhaust on that too. The first thing I do is shut that. Every you know, I start the car and I shut off the active fuel management or whatever the yeah. displacement on demand immediately. I just I don't. You know. I want to hear your exhaust on that thing because that already from the factory that and the TRX both are f- phenomenal for a factory exhaust. And I'm pretty sure I had a Ram engineer say because I think we were talking about passing the drive-by test, and he's like, "Oh yeah, we pass it, but barely." <laughs> so I can't even imagine. I mean, I, I think they were within a decibel or half a decibel Oof. of being over on the drive-by because that thing's so so loud. And when you start it up, I love it because all the SRT stuff just barks at you. It's like, the, the, I don't know if yeah. they just dump a bunch of fuel on startup just so it goes like, oh my God, it's so bitching. Well, something that also surprised Holman and I is the like the 2020 Titan. Now you've got an exhaust for that. And it sounds really nice from the factory and livens up when you get on the R's. It really comes alive. I'm dying to find out how yours sounds because it's already got the 5.6 Already, it's already got a really nice note to it, and it just, man, it comes alive. It's like music or like musical instruments or whatever. Like you can have more than one sound. That's great, you know. So, and one doesn't have to be better than the other. It's just, you know, about doing something different. I, I say that a lot, even to the OE engineers that we work with. You know, they feel so invalidated when somebody puts an aftermarket exhaust on. You know, and they don't. They they're constantly chasing it. It's like, oh God, you know, the aftermarket did this, and then. The next version, whatever, they try to do that so that the, nobody changes out the exhaust. And when I talk to them, I'm like, look, you know, you make it round, we'll make it square. You make it black, <laughs> we'll make it white. You right. know, like whatever you do, we're going to do the other thing. And someone's right. going to want it because it doesn't look stock. You right. know? So sometimes it's just about a different note. You know, it's not like, oh, this is so much better. I mean, when guys going to in the parking lot, you know, or whatever, comparing their vehicles and stuff, it's just, you know, you can appreciate what somebody else has got. And even if it's not the same as yours. And so, you know, we just try to find our little niche and to do something cool that's going to keep this whole thing going and make people happy. And, you know, we love our competitor stuff, too. You know, I hear competitive exhaust systems all the time, I think are awesome. So, um, you know, that's it. It's just how do you, David, how do you handle, um, how do you address cars and trucks that have cutouts or, you know, a but, you know, a, can be switched from loud to quiet? So the cars that have them integrated into the architecture of the vehicle, we will copy that architecture. We have our own valve technology and, um, we've even been able to improve upon what the OEs are doing They're, they're We're working with them to help them. They help us. Um, uh, it's, you know, getting into electronics and computers and, and all kinds of crazy stuff. Um, but if, if it's built into the architecture of the system, there's a, of the car, there's a button someplace, there's a menu, um, or it just happens automatically and all that stuff we're fully committed to what we haven't done. And we're not really going to get into, although perhaps on, on some off-road vehicles, we might is you know, integrating that technology when it doesn't exist. There are a lot of companies out there that do like cutouts and, you know, and, and active exhaust systems for cars and trucks that don't have them from the factory. And when you start running wires and cutting holes in the dashboard and, or, you know, whatever else, it's just not something that we've, we've really gotten into. Even the Bluetooth, Bluetooth technology has, has flaws to it. So we just kind of try to stick with what the original architecture was. 
So I've got a question. Million mile warranty. We've talked about it. We talked about construction and and that you guys build a product that's built to last. Do you know of any customers who have actually gone a million miles on your exhaust system? Uh, we don't, but if we did, we'd still we'd still honor it. <laughs> <laughs> so if any of our listeners out there have a million miles on their Bortle exhaust, you want to know about it. Would you give him a trophy, him or her, a trophy made out of an exhaust? For sure. <laughs> matter of fact, we got uh, Amelia Island coming up. We do uh, a trophy for best sounding vehicle at Amelia Island, and it's uh, it's actually you can like play an exhaust note through the trophy. So if anybody out there has a million miles on their Borla, I'd be happy to send them one of those trophies. Look at that. That's nice. How often um, are you are you sitting watching like Barrett Jackson or one of these uh, auction shows on Discovery or something and the, the announcer's like, and it's got a Borla exhaust. And you're like, yeah, it does. Like, uh, because it is the kind of the creme de la creme. Yeah, they, uh, they do it. They list it. And, uh, you know, we're so flattered to be recognized that way. It, it does happen a lot, I'm happy to say. And um, we get up every morning, you know, making sure that, that uh, you know, we keep that reputation. And it's uh, it's not an easy thing to do. Car guys um, are for real. They know what they're talking about. And uh, it's a lot of work. And, you know, it takes a lot for us to, to get there. Um, but we're, we're really honored to have it. Is the ringtone on your phone a Borla exhaust? No, I just went with the straight, the straight. We, you know, we've talked about doing that whole thing. The problem with it is, is that um, when you start playing exhaust notes back through a phone or even a laptop, they sound weird. You know, uh, yeah, and it's just—I mean, this gets into the whole like shopping for exhaust systems on YouTube thing and everything. But it's just part of how it is. But I, I, being a sort of purist, I can't stand the way our exhaust notes sound on a phone. I, I can't stand it. It's got to rattle your inner, inner ear and your chest and like vibrate and. You don't get any of that out of a phone, you know? So what's your favorite uh, exhaust that you guys make? Any vehicle. The one that you would, I, if you I had like, to listen to one the rest of your life, doesn't matter how old you are or whatever, you walk outside and you're like, every day you want to hear that thing start up to start your day. No, no, no. He's on a, a deserted desert island. And he can only have one exhaust? One exhaust on a, on, a, on a vehicle with an endless supply of gasoline. Can he choose? And, and he has no key to turn it off. Oh, okay. Well, that's, a, <laughs> so, that's an interesting twist. Uh, uh, the previous version for GT, that whatever, 2005, 2006, for yeah. GT, the V8, that one. That that does um, sound pretty good. So we used uh, collector vacuum wave collector mufflers on that on that car. So they're they come straight off. You know, it's mid engine, so they come straight. You know, e- each bank has four primaries, and they come straight off into these vacuum wave collector mufflers. They look like you know like a top fuel dragster all tucked in on you know inside the gt so it's we you know it's a rare car there aren't a lot of them out there most of them still have the stock exhaust we had a different exhaust system we offered for that car a lot of those guys have that one but that one that we did with with collector mufflers on the gt was that's my favorite one you call that vacuum wave collectors What, what is that Okay, so this is another one of my dad's patents. Um, this was for, uh, you know, real NHRA, you know, dragsters. And they are mufflers that have four inlets, you know, so they come off each bank of a V8 and they have one outlet and they're, they're in a particular angle that creates what's called a vacuum wave. And, uh, you know, it basically is like scavenging technology where through, you know, one pulse is kind of drawing out the one behind it. 
you know, and um, and uh, this goes back to him winning NHRA races with it. And if you look at those mufflers, there's a particular angle, and that angle creates what's called a reversion wave. And uh, and a reversion wave, when done correctly, can make power. So uh, that's another that patent has expired. Um, it's it's that old. So that's another one of my dad's patents, a vacuum wave collector muffler. So those, that four GT was the only streetcar we ever incorporated that technology into. So that's wild. We incorporate the uh, same technology on this podcast in order to make it better. <laughs> vacuum wave. <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. No, just a, you know, it's called a vacuum of talent. Oh, okay. Yes. I'm sorry, I got confused. <laughs> the thing about the website that's awesome is they also have sound clips. Of all the different exhausts, you can uh, check out what the uh, the different versions are, like uh, from the uh, the touring all the way to the attack. And uh, well, I, again, I, they don't. They, the, your, your computer doesn't do it justice. Well, I was going to say, hold on, David. What do you suggest in the case of a guy who's got a Ford F one fifty, a single cab short bed, and he's dying for your exhaust, but he wants to he wants to hear it in person, and he lives in Iowa. No, no, no. You you download it, you listen to it, but you Bluetooth it to your home stereo. Speakers. Turn it all the way up? Yes. You know, it's sort of like, I don't know, I mean, you know, like a, like looking at a picture of a burger, you know, and trying to figure out what it's going <laughs> to taste like. All right, good analogy. You know, <laughs> you it's, know it's probably hard, good. It's sort of hard to do, you know, but, but you can kind of tell which burger looks better than the other one, you know. Um, the best way to do it is to hear it for yourself. I, I feel like I need to apologize because the, the model you gave of somebody who can't, you know, what do you do for that guy? He's got to do what he can on the internet. And we do everything we can to make our videos an accurate representation of what it sounds like. But, you know, every computer, whatever has a volume thing, you know? And so if the guy's cranking it or turning it down or whatever, you know, that, that will affect it. And then also just, there's nothing you can do about the fact that you have to use microphones and something to record to. And then there's always some sort of compression that happens YouTube compresses things, they normalize things. You know, there's just a lot of uh, messing around going on with the sound, with the, with the sound clip, with the wave file. Um, and all that manipulation is gonna change how it sounds, you know. Um, but listen, listen for the character, listen for the richness of it. Don't necessarily listen so much for how loud, because it's, it's hard to really compare how loud something is um, on a computer. And an, another question about, so I, I want to hear this. Do I go to a performance shop? Do I buy it online? What is your preferred method for me to buy a we'll, Borla exhaust? We'll give out his personal cell phone number. And he can walk each I person don't, through no, the No, no, no. I don't think that's probably smart. <laughs> no? We have, we have a lot of listeners, oh. and that would be uncomfortable I was, for, I was, for him and his wife. Personalized service. I was just thinking that would be a new tenant of the Borla uh, buying no, process. Stop while you're behind. Okay, okay. Yeah. What do, what do you recommend? So, you know, I, I'm a fan of the speed shops, obviously. You know, um, I like supporting those guys. I think it's a really important part of our industry. And, and I, you know, I sort of um, feel a responsibility to direct people towards those guys. And I think there's a real value uh, when you find the right one. So if you've got a, you know, a, a shop you work with and, you know, definitely, you know, listen to them and, and, and use them. But in today's day and age, uh, I, I think everybody's just buying stuff online. You know, and, and um, uh, you can buy directly from us, but we we really dissuade people from doing that because because we have great distributors that have been with us for a long time and we want to drive sales to them. But um, there are a lot of reputable places you can buy stuff from, do your homework. Um, but, uh, you're, you know, you're going to get the same product 
at the same price when it comes to Borla from any of them. So really comes down to, uh, you know, who you like to work with. And then of course, I think availability is, is part of it too. Some, some companies kind of stock more product than others. So one thing we don't do is we are not, um, really in the business of distributing. So we don't, you know, people call us and they can't believe that we don't have our own products, but we're manufacturers. We're, we're designing exhaust systems. We're manufacturing. We don't have a big warehouse with all of our parts. You know, we're running um, thousands of, you know, a given part number at a time and getting them out the door. So um, you're going to have better luck finding a selection of boreless stuff from the big, big guys, the big distributors. All right. So you, again, you can head to uh, Borla.com or on Facebook uh, at Borla Exhaust, and of course on Instagram, uh, also at Borla Exhaust. And you can there's all sorts of uh, photos, videos, sound clips. Make sure you at least try and hook up your computer to some uh, some good speakers so you can really uh, enjoy the sounds because uh, you know, Borla, one of the cleanest, smoothest exhaust systems that are out there. I've always really been a fan of the way the Borla exhaust systems sound. And then the quality on top of that, it's, it's pretty hard to beat. Hey, David, when this whole COVID thing is over, can we come out and visit since you're relatively close to us? For sure. would love that, please. I'd love yeah, to tape, uh, you know, a, like a, a factory tour if that's something that's available. Yeah, yeah let's do that. I would right. love to do that. Yeah, well, we'd love to come up. I mean, if you're only... Uh, what a forty five no, hour north minutes away. Yeah. Well, I guess, yeah, from from up here. Well, so. traffic so yeah, six yeah, yeah. hours, six hours. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah, we'll come up there. Uh, you can show us around. Maybe we will do a, a a podcast episode from there where we can hear some of the uh, exhaust that you guys are R and Ding right now that we can't tell people what they are, and we'll have a little fun yep. with it. That would be great. It'd be honored to have you guys. Awesome. It's been a treat, David. Thank you for carving out the time for us. Really appreciate it. Thank you too. Appreciate it. You All got right. it. Soon, guys. All right. We'll talk soon. Right. Thank Thanks. you. Bye. 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 Holman, swing that mail sack over here and let me grab a handful. <laughs> Sounds gross. Have you been working all week on that? <laughs> no. How about I just hand you some emails? Oh, for that's you. better. Thank you. You email? Yeah. I email. Do it. We email. That's right. Everybody email. Type it up. You email. Proofread. I email. Send it. We email. Click it. Everybody email. <laughs> all right, so who's going first? Gonna jam out there for a while. Listen. Oh, you guys couldn't tell, but his don't, eyes were closed and he was jamming. Don't desecrate the jingles. I feel Only like that's a that, that's a bumper sticker. Don't desecrate the jingles. Uh, hashtag. Okay. Hashtag. Does that mean you're going first or am I? I'm waiting for you because oh. uh, you uh, you need it more than I do. All right. Uh, Facebook forums. The subject line from Sam Houston. Saw this on Facecrack and thought of this week's podcast opening. And it's a it's a meme of a little cat and it looks like a, a Siamese cat looking uh, typing on a, uh, a laptop. And the caption is: Have you ever read a Facebook comment that made you click on the person's profile just to see if they look as stupid as they sound? And the answer is yes, every single time. Wow. Um, that's depressing. The reason is, is that we talked about on a previous episode, when someone trolls you, yeah. if you click on their profile nine times out of 10, I'm going to go as far as saying 99 times out of a hundred, the, the, the troller will have nothing but memes on, uh, their Facebook page. They won't share any photos of themselves or their family and they're just a freaking troll. So you're saying that is accurate. Yep. All right, got one here from uh, Benjamin Koffel, who uh, says, Damn it, Holman. 
<laughs> I like that. All right. Okay. Hello, Lightning and Holden. I've been listening to your show for a few years now. The first episode I listened to was the first one with David Freiberger. However, between your constant interrupting during the interviews and horrible jingles, I had no interest in listening to another episode. Then you guys had Mike Finnegan on, and I had to give it another shot. I still found the jingles and interruptions obnoxious, but I enjoyed the content, so I continued to listen. Today, it's my favorite podcast I know in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> we won you over. <laughs> no. Why sad trombone? No, it's, no, that's the ironic tram- oh, trombone. ironic trombone. Mm-hmm. Ironic trombone is playing. Never mind. All right. Uh, <laughs> I have wanted to write in for a while now, but never had a good reason. Listen, guys. Here's the thing about the Truck Show podcast. We love your email. You never have to have a reason. Just say, send us an email that says, sup. We'll, sup. Pro- we'll probably read that too. Sup. sup. Uh, I finally have one living in Minnesota. I knew that I needed to purchase a truck and put my lowered car away for winter, but I just couldn't find the right one. First, I bought a 75 Dodge W100 with the factory plow. Yes. Figuring that when I, by the way, the uh, yes was my own personal emphasis, not in the uh, read. Uh, uh, when you say factory plow, like that's snow legit. Snow plow, yes. No, you could buy a factory plow. Mr. Plow, that's my name. That name again is Mr. Plow. <laughs> uh, figuring that when I move out of my apartment, I will need something for the driveway, and then I wanted to kill two birds with one stone. But it was such a pile of junk that I couldn't get it insured without putting a lot of work into it, so I continued searching. That truck is still sitting at my parents' house, and will get the work it needs eventually. Sure it will. Uh, about two months ago, I bought the truck I've been searching for since July. It's a 99 Silverado 2500 extended cab, long bed, and it has a 6-liter with a NV4500 manual transmission with four-wheel drive. Good call. It's got manual everything, which is what I think a truck should be, as there's less to go wrong with it. The only problem it has are one big dent that I'm hoping I can pull out, some rust on the rockers, and the one I'm writing to you about. Mm. And off-centered steering wheel. <laughs> oh, another uh, opportunity to play. <laughs> Thanks, Holman. With that being said, I can't wait to triple tow my fifth-wheel camper and boat behind this truck. I'm hoping that it tows better than my dad's 74 K20 with a four-speed, which is what I've always towed it with. That truck is a workhorse and pulls anything. It's just loud and slow. Thanks. And that was from our friend uh, and person we've won over, Benjamin Koffel. Update on things, dot, dot, dot. Starts uh, Robert Bayless. What up, lifted and lowered? That's kind of cool. I like that. Okay. As opposed to uh, Lightning and Holman. It's been a bit since my last email about deciding to head back to school and pursue something, you know, in automotive. Well, 650 miles later, I'm near the campus and starting soon. Super excited and yeah, buddy. Yeah, buddy! I'll be learning to mounter them parameters soon. Mounter parameters! Now, I feel like I should have played this one for him, right? The original? Mounter monitor key engine parameters. Still a huge thanks to you two and the bogey episode. I definitely will buy the first round. Oh, and I only had the company of a DeWalt Bluetooth speaker and a 20-foot U-Haul box truck uh, for the trip. So firstly, Sean, the DeWalt battery worked the whole way, and I'm sticking to yellow for the boombox. And secondly, shout out to all the pro truckers that have to put up with all the I got to experience for two days. Small cars cutting me off with no blinker and the sudden sphincter clincher stopping at highway speeds, etc. I'll buy any trucker I meet a beer as well and keep up the five stars. Cheers. And that's from Robert. All right, got one here from uh, Corbin. Says episode idea, maybe. Hey guys, Corbin here from Northern Alberta, Canada. <laughs> Cold. 
Okay. Those, those are my shivers. Good. Okay. It's Not that sounded... I don't like Canada. It was just shivery. No, that was sound. That mm. looks like that was your upset stomach. Bro. No, no, no. That was me shivering. That's not the uh, Doritos that are coming back up. Nope. Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> uh, I've been listening to your podcast recently on my drives down to Edmonton, which is about two and a half hours, where I'm going to school to complete my automotive service tech schooling. I've been in the automotive trade for a while now. Cutting to the chase, what are your thoughts on mechanics careers going into the future with EVs? Being in Canada, where we are years behind warmer climates on electrifying all of our vehicles, hybrids will soon become the new norm across the globe. I know we'll adapt to the new technologies. For everyone in the trade, though, should we expect less and less demand? EVs are little to no maintenance and require little to no repairs. For independent shops, will they be able to get training and equipment to repair EVs, or will it be dealer-specific with equipment too expensive for independent shops to invest in? I would love to hear an episode on this subject, possibly get technicians from around the world to hear what their thoughts are as well. Last but not least, keep up the great work. Five-star rating. Congratulations. You have earned five stars. Uh, My guess on that is that uh, mechanics are going to be in demand for a long time. Uh, especially if a lot of people rush into the EV space, you're going to need old school mechanics to fix all the stuff that is uh, affordable as uh, these more expensive EV uh, vehicles come on the market. Uh, I know there's a lot of mandates being talked about. We've talked about on the show. I don't really see them being realistic because as administrations change and politics change and people become more aware of where their fuel comes from. I've said it before. I think there needs to be a tapestry of technologies. I don't think it'll just be EV. Um, I think you need a new saying. I mean, it's a good one, tapestry of technology, yeah. but I think you need a new like slug line. I need to, yeah. I'll, I'll, have to I'll think about it. Um, so, and it's not that uh, EV do have less maintenance, but you still have to maintain the brake system, the hydraulic system, the so, air conditioner. Can I, can I add to this, Holman? This is, uh, I, as you know, my, uh, my, my, my Mini, as I, uh, my daily driver, uh, has Oh, I thought you issues. were, ta- got it, your car. Yeah, my car. Car. Yeah, my yeah, okay. car. Okay, all right. Yeah, yeah well, I'm driving F-250 right now, as you know. But uh, the the, uh, the the mini took a crap and had some issues, so I, I brought it to my local uh, service tech. He's a, you know one of those um, really one hundred eighty thousand fam- miles. and finally gave up the ghost. Huh? Fam- no, no, it's not. It's it's uh, it didn't take a crap like that. Oh, okay, good. Had a wheel bearing go bad. Oh yeah, uh, but I, I, I heard was, that last time we left uh, the studio. I, I was I, I was tracking that down, and uh, and we did figure out what it is. I uh, unfortunately I replaced both CVs before I realized it was something as simple as a. But while he was in there, he discovered he discovered that the water pump had a massive leak, and uh, he also, like you suggested, a supercharger service. The reason I bring this up, he specializes in BMWs, mm-hmm. and he knows that Tesla has been going very hard after BMW owners. It's the same price range, give or take. And so he has converted a portion of his business to Tesla repairs. Of course. Now, currently, he can't get into the electronics, but he's doing window modules. Well, there's going to be laws that are good. There's already laws on the books here in America that require the techs to be able to have the same equipment that the dealers have. It hasn't happened yet with Tesla. Well, I, I'm trying. sure it's going to right, right. at some point. But as much as you'll lose being a mechanic because there will be modules and you'll be a parts replacer rather than a, a, a diagnostic technician, there's still other subsystems that need attention. Again, wheels, tires, wheel bearings, uh, All axle, the axle shafts, right, yeah. suspension, the airbag system, the air conditioner. There's still cooling systems on board for thermal management. So, yeah, the drivetrain goes to electric, but there's still going to be a need for mechanics. So for me... Uh, I, I wouldn't worry too much about this. And then to your point about EV shop, uh, independent shops with uh, the equipment, I think we just answered that. I think that it's going to be forced for the independents to compete. They're going to have to have the same uh, same equipment. And uh, I think that'll self-solve here in the near future. 
Trust your instincts. Subject line from RB Lightning and Holman. I'm a bit Ray, behind. Our buddy Ray. Oh, yeah, it's Ray. I'm a bit behind on TSP episodes. Just finishing up episode uh, 158. Regarding booking a certain guest, yay or nay? Of course, I'm no one to tell you how to run your show, but having listened faithfully since episode one, I can tell you that your gut instincts with regard to the Truck Show podcast guests and content have always been right so far. So my unsolicited, honest, friendly advice is to trust your gut. So I guess he's talking about Johnny Lieberman? Yeah. Hmm. He is. Okay. And separately, as Lightning said in response to some negative Apple Store review comment, there is no other platform that delivers what TSB delivers. What you deliver is tremendous knowledge value combined with a welcoming entertainment and laughter. And that, my friend, is a home run. Don't waste time second-guessing yourselves. Go with your gut and press on. History has shown that you know what you're doing, whether or not it feels like it to you in the moment. Ray, that's that's very that's very kind of you to say. Thank we, you. We love Ray. Ray, uh, probably, uh, you know, one of our favorite listeners. I still Very use generous in for uh, with his time. Very generous in person, too. He always sends us uh, emails. And uh, we don't always agree, but he always has good insight. Uh, I still use my uh, my Edland barbecue tongs. So, Ray, I think you've earned... Five-star review! Five stars! Holman, can we give five-star reviews to our our fans? We can do whatever we want. It's our show. Oh, I just did it then. All right. All right, so I got one here from Dean Schlingman. Says, uh, comparing... Whoa, 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 stop. Say it again. Dean Schlingman. He's written before <laughs> from San Dimas. Say it twice. Fast. I'm not going to. <laughs> okay. Comparing torque apples to power oranges... Says, uh, hey, Lightning and Holman, just writing in regard to episode 161 where you spoke with Magnus Sharif Marakbi. Great episode. Sharif is clearly a wealth of knowledge. During the interview, you asked him about horsepower torque claims to be made by different manufacturers, 12,000 pound here versus 4 billion horsepower there, and you indicated that it would help if we could compare apples to apples, similar to how we currently compare horsepower torque numbers from standard ICE powertrains. Fred, no more. This is currently being addressed by the Society of Automotive Engineers. Ooh, commonly known as SAE. SAE in the J- by the way, I just was a judge on the SAE Baja. Is that uh, true? I, yeah. When? Well, we haven't even talked about that. Last week. Wow. That's a whole other thing. Where well, are uh, you? Do, do you clone yourself? <laughs> I know what your schedule looked <laughs> like crazy. last week, and you didn't have time to do that. Yeah, I spent all day, I think it was on Wednesday, and I was on a team of five judges who were one of, so uh, Formula SAE, you may have heard of. This is the Baja version of that. So it's, uh, We have three Formula SAE grads at, at my work. Uh-huh. And so uh, this is Baja SAE. So I was on the panel for them to deliver their business plan to five judges who are experts in the automotive industry to talk about their supply chain, their marketing, their vehicle, their logistics, their manufacturing, all of that stuff. And ranked them, and I had ten schools. Uh, NYU was one of them. We had Missouri, Kansas, uh, Canada, Puerto Rico, uh, as well as India. Uh, all these kids from around the world. There were I was in a judging group of five. There were fifteen of our judging groups. Each one of these fifteen of us had ten schools. That tells you how big it is. Oh my God! Did you was uh, Cal Poly Pomona in there? Do you know? Uh, probably. They yeah. have a pretty uh, big uh, yeah. SAE team. So it was awesome. It was a great experience. And uh, uh, shout out to uh, to a friend of mine. Who uh, Dean Case, who uh, actually used to be the PR guy at Nissan a long, long time ago, uh, he's involved. I remember in Dean? Yeah, yeah, good guy. So he called uh, called me up and said, "Hey, I want you to be a judge in this." And w- great experience. All right. So uh, anyway, uh, Dean continues. Uh, this is being addressed by SAE J twenty nine zero eight Task Force, to which he's a member of. Uh, the J twenty nine zero eight standard was initially established as an answer. <laughs> I'm to just the- thinking that these guys have like badges. They're a task force. Yeah, like, <laughs> SAE task force, sir. <laughs> stop! Stop quoting ridiculous power numbers. <laughs>
Are you going to let me finish the email? I'm trying to go ahead. Yes. Uh, the J2908 standard was initially established as an answer to J1349, which is the standard that has been used for decades to rate ICE output, but in this case, rate EVs, hybrids, plug-ins, and potentially fuel cell-powered vehicles. The intended output of the J2908 task force is to redefine the test standards so that a manufacturer can say, this hybrid or EV or fuel cell powertrain makes a combined horsepower and torque that can be directly compared to an ICE performance rating. This is like info you're not getting anywhere else. Like seriously, Dean, if if you want to come on and be a guest of the show, hit us up truckshowpodcast at gmail.com, and let's let's put something together. No, why don't we just we should be proactive and tell him we want him to be a guest. All right, so email us again, and uh, uh, well, I guess we have his email. The original J2908 standard was established many years back in the industry. Has seen a number of powertrain design changes and improvements that the original standard didn't anticipate. So here's the challenge. J1349 is fairly straightforward in measuring power and torque of an engine on an engine test stand at the crankshaft. Very tried and true, but with today's hybrid powertrain configurations, the combination of engine and motor power and torque takes several routes to reach a common shaft. See the Toyota hybrid system, for example. And there's an added challenge in the fact that the engines and motors have different power torque peaks uh, at various RPMs. So it's not as simple as just adding the peak values of engine and motor and calling it a day. So the task force responsible for the standard is considering the methods, powertrain architecture, parasitic losses, and will try to establish some sort of level playing field for testing these various configurations in hopes of building a standard like we're all used to in J1349. Sorry for the long email. It was a fairly difficult topic to cover quickly. I'm guessing we've got another 10 months of work at least. Hopefully we end up with something customers can expect manufacturers to live by and we can have apples to apples discussions about our future powertrains. Great work on the show. Five stars. Congratulations. You have earned five stars. So uh, Dean Schlingman from San Dimas, California. Dude, thank you for that. That was incredibly insightful. We love emails like this. I know a lot of our listeners are in various uh, dark corners of the industry doing good work like this, and it's great to have one of you guys pop out and kind of fill us in on what's going on. Five-star podcast, subject line from uh, William. So, hey, guys, how's it going? One of your Canadian truckers here. I haul livestock, pigs, and cattle, to be exact, over the Rocky Mountains between Alberta and British Columbia, and occasionally I run through other provinces. My truck is a 2020 Peterbilt 389, and it's got a X-15 Cummings. <laughs> yeah. He has the G in parentheses because uh, he, he, uh, he knows it drives us, us off, right? crazy. The G is silent, by the way. Uh, it's got a, uh, anyway, a Cummins motor with a four, uh, sorry, 565 horsepower. By the way, that's a hashtag the jizzlent. Yeah, the jizzlent. Uh, so uh, let me clarify this. The motor's got 565 horsepower, and Holman, you guess the torque. It has 565 65 horsepower. The X-15 Cummins uh, engine in his 2020 Peterbilt. 1750. 2,050 pound-feet of torque. Wow. <laughs> That's a lot. Where's so, Earl Scheib when you need him? Right. Right. <laughs> exactly. In Canada, my legal maximum gross weight is 46,500 kilograms. For you Americans, that's, uh, oh my God, that's 102,515 pounds. Holy That's a lot mackerel. of weight going down the road. Holy mackerel. The truck has full air ride all around and is able to drop it right on the ground, just like Ben Palmer described with his Pete, of which I'm eagerly waiting to see pictures of uh, when his truck is finished. So I love the show, and it's the highlight of my week, getting the notification that there is a new episode out. I just live for it. Don't worry. Don't worry, gents. I've also left you a five-star review on Apple. Five-star review! Five stars! 
On a side note, Lightning, the original jingles were fantastic. The latest ones haven't quite hit the same mark. Well, I agree with Is that. Is that because Omar did those and you've done the new ones? Uh, it's been a good, it's good. A, it's been a tapestry of jingles, <laughs> as Holman would say. Uh-huh. I can still appreciate the amount of time and energy you guys put in uh, for our entertainment. Have a great week. Look forward to the next episode. And that's William. Oh, P.S. I want to slap everyone that doesn't say Cummins properly. Well, that makes three of us. <laughs> uh <laughs> yeah, that's too. Uh, all right, uh, last one here from uh, Bart Harkey, and uh, I think he was reading our minds because he also wrote in and said, what happened to pickup trucks? Bloomberg said, lightning rod and hole shot. That's a lightning good one. rod and like hole that. shot. Uh, I wanted to share this article with you guys. The author talks about the scary reasons people buy and drive trucks. It's sort of scary that people are tying products they don't like or see a need for political statements. Mm. I really wanted to ask her if she thinks it's possible anybody buys them just well, because we like them. Anyway, thought you guys might find this interesting, and that's from our friend uh, Bart Harkey, who uh, was definitely reading our minds. We'd love to hear from you. Truckshowpodcast at gmail.com. Truckshowpodcast at gmail.com. Write us anytime. And uh, what you got over there? Uh, why don't we do a couple uh, reviews here from uh, the old Apple Store? Oh, so I get to play... Five stars. Five stars. Five stars. Five stars. Five, 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 five. Five stars. Right back at you, brother. brother. Damn it. It was early. It's been a while since we did that one. All right. Well, let's let's start this one from uh, reviewer Nissan Titan XD. Oh. Uh, I just bought my fourth Nissan Titan because of your review of the 2020 Nissan Titan Pro 4X. I bought my 2021 Nissan Titan Pro 4X last week, and I'm loving it. Nissan hit a grand slam with this truck, and... Five stars. five stars! Wait, that was weak. That was weak. Hold on. Let me step over here a little closer. And five, five stars! stars. That was much better. Yeah, thanks for uh, supporting us and uh, supporting our sponsors. Listen, if any of you guys ever buy a Nissan Titan or a deck system or- Let us know! Hang out at AutoZone. Yeah, tell us. We want to know. It, it helps uh, support the show and uh, supports our advertisers. So, uh, all right, here's a good one. A good show with a knowledgeable host from- Not great, just good. Wheeler Freak <laughs> says, uh, I enjoy the show overall- Holman is very knowledgeable on the subjects they cover. I just wish Lightning would let their interviewees finish a sentence once in a while. And that is a... Oh, that's four stars. Four stars. And our last one from V-Force Guy, still going strong. And uh, he begins with, I've been an avid listener from the beginning. The content knowledge of their guests keeps me coming back for more. Holman and Lightning work well together, have a great rapport, and are funny. Yeah, eh. I've liked most of their <laughs> I've liked most of their subject matter and guests. Not every topic is a hit with me. Think like Ford versus Chevy versus Dodge Ram debates, but I still find they learn something about the subject matter anyway. Overall, I give it a five star review and think that's worth listening to. Great job, guys! Again, uh, thanks, uh, V Force guy, and. Five stars. 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 You failed so hard. I love that, that was so a much. Bad one. Uh, 657-205-6105. 657-205-6105. That is the five star hotline. Leave us a message. The truck show. The truck show. The truck show. How many stars do you think I get on that one? Three and a half. I was going for two. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, the, the emailer before that hated on me for interrupting guests, uh-huh. that, that got me, well, that got the whole show four stars. Yeah. And by the way, it ain't exclusive to me, buddy. 
Uh-huh. You were the culprit for like the first hundred episodes. <laughs> and then you took over? And for some reason, you stopped and I started. Now, I'm not doing it every time. I, I don't think that they can tell our voices apart. Why are you... Are you mansplaining the show to people now? Yeah, I'm defensive. I'm defensive. Stop. I always get defensive. Stop. Let it go. Red balloon. Just... I'm going to bring you a bunch of red balloons in the studio. You're going to write whatever you're upset about. We're going to go outside and watch you just let one go. I don't know what that means, the red balloon thing. Just let it go. You're just going to write what's bothering you, what's ailing you, what you're defensive about. In a Sharpie on the red balloon, you go outside, you just release it. And as the balloon floats away, as do all your worries. Hey, if you want to interact with us on uh, social, he's at LBC Lightning. I'm at Sean P. Holman, and we are at truck show podcast on your favorite social and uh lightning's been answering dms lately i haven't been checking them for accuracy but at least somebody's answering uh your calls for uh interaction so we do our best when we can i'm pretty good at it a little busy lately so a little 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 tough to uh dive in on it so i I appreciate you uh picking up the slack on that and uh hey of course you guys can always reach us truckshowpodcast at gmail.com we'd love to read your emails and uh get your feedback and what we love even more than email are five-star reviews. So if you'd be so kind, here, I'll, you know, I'll make you a promise. If you leave us a five-star review, I won't interrupt any more guests. <laughs> and Holman won't talk about uh, going off-roading with uh, the dude you always talk about going off-roading. What's that, <laughs> what's that dude? dude yeah, always... you know, yeah, Rod Hall. You can't mention Rod Hall. Uh, Rod Or, wait, stop, stop. You Rod can't... Hall's passed away. Uh, the the other hall, the younger hall. <laughs> there's two of them. Yeah, okay, which one? See, there's three the of races? them now. See, Chad Chad wait, Hall. Hold on a second. <laughs> like you're you're so mad that I say it so much yet you don't even know because I must not have said it enough. It's hall. It's one of the halls. Oh my God. It's which hall is listen it? To you. <laughs> what is your first day of like? All right, listen. High school and you're like I have a class. Which hall is it in? All right, it's, it's one. You can't. All right, and, uh-huh. all right, I'll make a better one. Uh huh. You can't mention the fact that you saved the raptor. You know what's funny. In air quotes. No, I did save the Raptor, and I own Oh, you can't talk about it. But listen, what's funny about this is you're so defensive now, you want to point out everything that I've mentioned more than a few times. That's exactly what I'm trying to do. You can redirect. Yes. Yes. That's exactly what I'm doing. You're burning down this building over here so nobody can see that yours is on fire. That's right. Okay, I'm just verifying. (laughs) Uh, I mean, I'm happy to let you do the show by yourself. I'm nothing if not obvious. What would that be? Just one show with just you. We should do that. Odd. Oh, you know what? M- missed it again. What did we miss? April Fools. Hmm. Oh well. Sorry. I kind of like that we didn't do anything because I don't want them to see it coming. They're they're prepared for it now. No, it's been two years. No, no, it's not enough. <laughs> I mean, we're we're gonna smack in one of these years, and they're just not gonna see it coming. All right, well, it might be good, but it's gonna have to be uh, in the future. If we make it that far. Well, we missed this one. What we didn't miss was our opportunity to talk about our favorite sponsor, Nissan. Nissan Titan, the Titan XD, and the Frontier. Uh, the Titan's got the most standard horsepower and torque in its class, as you know. Most standard safety technology in its class. The best-in-class standard 8-inch screen and Apple CarPlay integration. And best of all, Holman, what do they have the best of? This is where you say five-year, 100,000-mile warranty. But you just said it, so we're, we're covered. Oh. What about building and pricing their new Titan at NissanUSA.com? You can do that, too. I, th- I guess I just did. Okay. Well, then you can also go down to your local uh, dealership and check them out in person where you will fall in love. Your butt will fall in love with those derriere- Zero gravity seats? I was going to say derriere-hugging leather uh, seats. 
I was thinking about something fancier than a seat, and I, I, I don't like derriere. It's just I don't think yeah. our audience would use the term derriere. You, you guys ever use derriere? Somebody has. You think so? A hundred percent. One person. <laughs> One person. Name's probably Bob. Okay. Really, Bob uses it's not like Douglas. It's Bob. It's Bob. He's super. Like you never see it coming. I feel like it's Ricardo. Ricardo says derriere. Okay. All right. Well, <laughs> do you think Ricardo has a deck system in the back of his truck? I know he does. And he's got the twin sliding drawer system. And in the twin sliding drawer system, he's got a D-box, a cross box. He's got the drawer organizer. He's even got drawer locks because that's where he puts his Milwaukee tools. Well, I wonder if he went directly to uh, deck.com to uh, purchase that. Uh, he did because he wanted to uh, peruse all the other products available on the website. And then bought them all? No, he just picked and choosed. No, no. He bought them all and then uh, attributed it to uh, the Truck Show podcast. Ah, good call. And since you're fixing up your truck, you might want to head over to uh, DuraLastParts.com and check out our friends over at DuraLast who have over 20-plus part categories with an average of 98% of coverage of all vehicles on the road today. DuraLast Parts are made for the uh, high standards for OE or better fit form and function and also engineered by the same OE or Tier 1 suppliers or category-leading manufacturers as your dealership parts. So uh, if you're looking for a part to replace whatever's broken, go to your local AutoZone or head to DuraLastParts.com. Alice, no comment? No. I'm too embarrassed by your buffoonery. <laughs> well, I'm embarrassed that she uh, pronounced uh, buffoon as buffoon. <laughs> <laughs> buffoonery. The Truck Show Podcast is a production of Motor Trend Group. This podcast was created and produced by Sean Holman and Jay Tillis with production elements by DJ Omar Khan. If you like what you've heard, please head over to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star rating. And if you're a fan of the Truck Show Podcast, we encourage you to visit and patronize our sponsors. 